0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Creator's Journey podcast, episode 13. Every week I bring you a person of interest working in the creative field to offer you their insights, experiences, and a taste of who they are and their creative journey. This week we have Mark Backler, a games developer and founder of Sketchbook Games. He recently released his game The Lost Words on Google Stadia and it will be out on all platforms early next year. And the game was written by someone who I admire very much, Rihanna Pratchett, she's done work for Tomb Raider Games and Mirror's Edge and she's also the daughter of the great Terry Pratchett. Mark has a wealth of experience in the games industry, working at EA, Lionhead Studios and now running his own. He's also a really, really nice guy, so it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast and have a nice old chat about everything to do with games. So, without further ado, let's go!
1: We're both close and it was nice to to meet up in person but a lot of the rest of the team sort of spread around the country and so they've all been working fully remotely yes it hasn't been too big a change in that respect but has meant that we haven't been able to go to any events since launching the game so we've sort of been trying to sign up for some digital events um, some of which have been pretty effective but uh, yeah you definitely miss sort of being able to get out there and put the game in front of people and yeah. yeah it
0: must be it must be frustrating to like finally finish the game and not be able to physically go out there and show it to people
1: did feel like a little bit of an anti-climax but um <laughs> so we've had the stadia launch so far but now we've got the steam ps4 xbox one mm-hmm. and switch versions coming up at the beginning of next year so uh, hopefully the world will be kind of back to normal by then mm. we can go to yeah go to some of the events and, um, yeah. uh, and kind of show off the, the game a bit better at that point
0: yeah i look forward to seeing it on consoles and it looks great cool, like, thanks just before we started recording we were talking about like what the next steps were like have you got an idea in mind of where you want to go or do you want to just think about the next game rather than what the next steps for the company is
1: uh i want to do both really um so yeah we've got a couple of concepts for next projects and just trying to figure out which one is the um best direction to to go in but then i do want to think about the company culture and uh, yeah the direction that we want to 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 go in with with that Mm because I think it's sort of a really important area and I want all the people who are working at Sketchbook to be um, happy. And so I've sort of been trying to plan out some questions to ask the team to sort of figure out the sort of things that they would like and, yeah, what what direction they want to sort of try and make sure we can find something that we're all on the, the same page with.
0: Would you prefer like working remotely or do you want to at one point just convene in one place?
1: So for Lost Words we've kind of met up and we had like an alpha playthrough and beta playthrough then the sort of game release playthrough we did remotely. So yeah we'd, we'd met up in London before and that that was really good and we'd thought we would like to do that more often and so yeah even though we've been working re- remote before we thought just meeting up maybe once every two weeks in, in London would would be good so that you can kind of have those creative discussions and people can mm-hmm. get to know each other a bit better because it's one thing with remote work of it's quite hard to kind of to know everyone because often you know you're just sort yeah. of very focused on the the game and work stuff and uh, we have started having like chats every other friday uh, just people to sort of talk off topic so yeah that, that's been nice but I think that yeah there's no substitute for just sort of meeting up in,
0: uh, in real life yeah like to work in a team you really do need to have that like social side to it and have that cohesion mm-hmm. building up those friendships i think is really important because like when you work together if you don't have that like relationship it can really mess it up when you do have like disagreements and arguments
1: yeah yeah and if you're having to ask people uh, if they can help you out with stuff it's always nice if you've had a whole load of conversations with them about non-work stuff and you know them better because otherwise you feel bad if you're always Mm. just having to sort of go and ask for support on different things
0: yeah that's true there are some people that even i just like i don't want to bother them like i want to I want to I ask them for something, but I don't want to bother them with my own problems because I'm sure that they have their own. But on the flip side, if someone just came to me, like if I know them and they came to me for some help, I would gladly just like give my time of day mm-hmm. for them. Is that the same for you? Like if people just like, I'm not saying that any old random person come up to you for uh, advice, but like if if someone like you knew just came up to you and, Ask for like some help. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's always nice to to be able to help people, and I, I think um, the games industry is especially friendly, and so people seem good for um, uh, yeah, being very up for for helping out other people. And uh, I think um, yeah, giving advice and stuff often can be helpful for the person giving it, because sometimes you're sort of advising people on things, and then you're thinking, hey, actually, I could do this thing and this this applies to me this is good (laughs) advice i should take this yeah
0: okay so this podcast is called the creator's journey so i would love to ask you how you got started in this journey of yours of being a games developer right
1: um so i guess i was quite lucky and i knew i wanted to make games from a very young age i remember when i was at primary school i i sort of wanted to get into game making but just had a commodore 64 at the time and it was pretty hardcore to sort of program (laughs) games with that and i never had a very good aptitude for uh for for coding and um uh then yeah secondary school i remember we were asked of what we what we wanted to to do when we were older and uh, i remember Answering that, yeah, I wanted to, to be a video game developer, and I had my teacher sort of put his fingers and thumb together in a uh, money gesture, and uh, but, which is, you know, right for some people, like if you're yeah. not, um, but yeah, not, uh, not necessarily right for the whole industry, and often. People, oh. you know, you're making games because you're passionate about doing that and you're interested in it because often there's other careers you could do if you were more focused yeah. on making money.
0: I decided to be a game developer when I was around, like, high school age, uh, secondary school age, and I remember, like, my teacher just going, oh, so you want to work with computers? I was like, yes and no, it's not It's not as simple as just what – because – I like computers, but I'm not the best at programming. But then I was guided towards that route because at that time, the games industry wasn't really a thing. It was still quite Dude. young. Teachers didn't understand what like making games mm-hmm. was. They thought it was just like bedroom programmers making games for consoles, which is not as simple as that no. sounds.
1: And... um yeah, there's lots of different areas of development and lots of different skills, isn't there? And yeah, I often have family mm-hmm. friends and things will ask you to, you know, fix their really niche-specific hardware problem, and it's like, well, I don't really know so much about the hardware side of things, and, uh, and even software. think so you get some issues, and just because you uh, you make games yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you you know loads of things, but but it does tend to mean you've got a, a, a good aptitude for problem solving, I guess what lots of the hardware issues are so yeah you can oh, yeah. try out different things and, and often it comes down to being good at google mm. and just you know knowing how to phrase your question and look up the right thing because tons <laughs> of people have probably that yes before.
0: that yeah that's pretty much my uh, university career of how to program <laughs> just google so search i think lots of programmers so. are
1: like that actually and um even the, the best ones because yeah. There's no point in reinventing the wheel, and if they're trying to do something and it's been done 20 times before, then you might as well um, yeah. use that knowledge and and spend your time tackling the hard problems that are different to what everyone else has been doing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Was there a game that made you want to be a games developer? Was there that Catalyst game? That, where I want to do this. When
1: I was at primary school, I was trying to make my own version of Street Fighter 2, so possibly that uh, oh, and but I think it's just generally like that I loved so many different games so yeah I kind of got a, a, a sense of I would like to make my own uh, yeah secondary school uh, I really loved all the N64 games like Goldeneye and Mario Mario Kart mm-hmm. and stuff so possibly those ones had an extra big influence and but yeah so when when I was um, finishing school I sort of picked A-levels that would help me do a steer my career towards game development and so sort of computing mm. and maths. And then I studied games computing at Lincoln University, which had a whole bunch of different modules. So you sort of had programming bits and uh, maths modules and 3D animation and modelling and game design. So there was sort of lots of different areas because I was still trying to program when I was at college i sort of got a book on C++ and was trying to teach myself that and on our computing course we did some visual basic.
0: Was that very hard for you or was that quite natural to you to learn to program?
1: A bit of an uphill struggle I would say yeah it didn't really come especially naturally it never sort of clicked all that well for me so it was only when i'd finished university that i thought actually maybe i would go into art rather than programming and because uh, I, I guess before before university i didn't even know much about the different roles of game development or anything And i think there was less available no. online about it um, now there's sort of a lot more resources these days
0: yeah i think i learned more about it after i graduated from uni mm-hmm than I did learning it at uni.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine had applied to EA and um, got a job as a level integrator on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And because... He had the same course as me that gave me the confidence to apply as well when he told me that they were hiring but otherwise i felt like my portfolio wasn't ready but that was a a scripting position so it was kind of a bit Mm. like programming but not quite as hard which was well suited for me um, because even though i'd been trying to work on my art art portfolio i wasn't a very good artist either so. (laughs) Um, so yeah scripting was good and then when i when i had my foot in the door at ea was able to see what the different disciplines actually did and learned a bit more about them and then I, I really liked game design so I sort of went in in that direction.
0: How was your experience at EA?
1: Uh, it was good I liked it yeah we were working on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix which was a cool title to be mm. involved with and um, the people were really nice. Do some late nights and stuff but when you're young you're kind of trying to stand out and get as much experience as you can and you don't really have much else better to be doing that point Mm -hmm. so um yeah and it was a a cool location we were in Chertsey in this building shaped like a giant e uh, designed by Norman Foster and it was in a nice like business park so it's all trees and water around you and everything and yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience.
0: How long were you there for? I think that
1: was a six-month contract, but then it got extended a whole bunch of times. So I was probably there for about eight months in the end. Uh, that was when the game had shipped. And then I went to Lionhead Studios and was working on a, on, on Fable 2 as, as mm. a scripter there. So at EA, we'd been using C++, but a, a scripting language that the programmers had Uh, developed and then at Lionhead we were using Lua.
0: One of the things about being a programmer that I really hated was learning so many different languages (laughs) because it I found it quite confusing it it is pretty much learning a different language similar to like learning French or German or whatever Mm -hmm. and but the, the the same foundations are the same how how do you find like going from one language to another do you?
1: Um, i guess in some degree like when you've learned the basics of one there's lots of things that kind of to do with the logic and structure and things that apply to most of them but then there is all the yeah just different commands and things and i think for me i felt like it was trying to learn a language without a good dictionary because often mm. the the resources uh, i don't know maybe they're designed more for extremely technical people and but i never like even when you have the examples of how to use stuff I, I i always struggled a lot to just kind of take a command because of the way it was laid out and it was not how i needed to use it and so it was yeah i just found it very difficult to to kind of use the resources and apply everything and uh, well, I, th- I think now you know there's, there's different software solutions i think visual studio is a lot better at um uh, you know, it helps you like autocomplete stuff, so you can see mm. which which functions you can use or which variable yeah. names are valid in this instance, and uh, all, all stuff like that that can help.
0: Yeah, I, I remember back in the day when Visual Studio didn't have that, and you could you would write like twenty lines of code, and then there'd be like a hidden comma somewhere <laughs> that you accidentally hit instead of a semicolon and it would take you pretty much a few hours just to try and find it yeah definitely those those are the most frustrating parts of programming mm-hmm. but then the whole you get such a good feeling when you actually do write something and it comes out the way that you imagined it
1: yeah yeah it's definitely rewarding I guess for me I, I found, found like the, um, the amount of struggle versus the thrill of the reward when it was working was sort of outweighed slightly. So if um, if it had been the balance in the other direction, then I probably would have done it more you know because i enjoyed doing it and got better and better but yeah it Mm -hmm. just seemed like there's so much banging your head against a brick wall and then you know after two days of trying to get this thing working and then you finally get it working it was like some degree of yes great but also some degree of that took me ages and i feel like (laughs) i've done and i feel like i've wasted a load of time (laughs) Uh, when I got some funding for Lost Words and even before that, collaborating with someone to to help out with the the programming because, yeah, I knew it wasn't my strength. And I, I was using um, Playmaker a bit to, to help with that as well. So it was like visual scripting because I got on mm-hmm. easier with that, although we ended up stripping that out later when um, we had a team of programmers who could things properly
0: how big a difference is it to work from established studios like ea and lionhead to starting up your own in the studios
1: pretty different uh, so <laughs> yeah you're yeah it was very different sort of starting out on my own and you don't really have that same support network it was one thing when i first went to mm. ea it was very different to being at university because at university you're all kind of working on your own projects and you're like competing and people aren't really uh helpful often um whereas at lionhead you know you're all on the same team you've got the same shared goal so i was kind of amazed at how how helpful and nice everyone was Mm. yeah you know you've got a really talented group of people so it's a really good place to uh to learn and to um make great contacts and then yeah like doing your own thing you know there's lots of different ways you can do it like if you can secure some funding first then you can have a studio and you know hire some of those people and it can be not that dissimilar to being at one of the bigger studios but yeah I had the prototype and then was sort of trying to pitch for funding and then sort of grew things gradually and got different sources of finance and yes it felt quite different and there yeah there's lots of Problems to overcome, and even things like when you know my hard drive on my computer died, and then there was no IT department to you know call up and ha- benefit from their support, helping you out. So I spent yeah. like a couple of days trying to salvage the data and repair stuff, and reinstall Windows and everything. And um, so yeah, it was one thing I definitely yeah, <laughs> definitely missed. And um, <laughs> but then yeah, as the team's grown a bit, you've got the you know. you've You've got an element of all the companionship, and and the you know people have their different areas that they're they're really good with. Yeah, and then as you go on, and if you if you want to grow a bigger studio, then you kind of you become one of those other studios, and there's not there's even less difference. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, uh, when you did the prototype, was it just by yourself, or did you have like a core team? Um,
1: so there was different it. stages and to begin with it was a game jam game so it was just me and then ah, okay. as my kind of uh, aspirations outstripped my ability in other areas like programming and art i um mm-hmm. found some people who were interested to be a part of the the project and mm-hmm. then yeah collaborated with 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 them so yeah it was good to, to get some nice art and have someone who is actually good at programming to to, to help out with it
0: just a quick tangent and talk about game mm-hmm. jams what what's your experience of game jams like for those who don't know what game jams are they're pretty much a, a, an event that kind of forces you to make a game within like a weekend mm-hmm. or yeah it, it can be yeah. in different
1: spaces of time so there's some that might last months or weeks um or even just a matter of hours but yeah pretty commonly they're they're a weekend so it'll be like friday night to sunday afternoon and um, you often get given a a topic so really good to kind of have a a box to work within because yeah it's one thing game jams are really good at if they give you lots of constraints and that can actually be really helpful you know often we we think oh you know i wish i didn't have all these constraints but when you're trying to think creatively sometimes if if you've got no limits then it's quite hard to
0: find a starting point
1: so having a theme is always really helpful and yeah and then you know you've got the skill set of whoever you're working with or, you know, sometimes you do them solo, sometimes you do them in a team of people. So it can be a really good Mm -hmm. way of learning different skills and, yeah, collaborating with different people, learning from each other. Yeah, yeah, I I think game jams are brilliant. Like The only thing is it can be quite intensive if, you you know, you've had a week of work and then a game jam is like another – weekend of work and then you go back to work for mm. the next week but I think you know it's definitely <laughs> worth it because it's kind of amazing uh, of what you can create in the space of a, a weekend and um, and it kind of forces you to, to finish and to, to learn about the importance of scope yeah. so you might have some game jams when things don't turn out so well but they're, they're all really valuable learning experiences and like our first one we were sort of wrestling with source control for the whole time but then at the end of it we'd you know we'd learned a lot about that and then the next game jam it wasn't an issue and it was yeah it was a benefit to be using that rather than you know moving stuff around with a pen drive or dropbox or something.
0: What was your first one like do you remember because I had a weird first game jam because my first game jam was in Pinewood Studios in London just outside Mm -hmm. London and it was my first time in like a movie studios anyway so that was quite weird but then it was in this grand hall everyone was all set up some people didn't even bring computers so i don't know how they were going to make a game but uh you had a mix of students amateurs and those who've been working in different industries as well and the only people that i knew was this one guy that i was studying Mm -hmm. with and both of us were training as games designers because our programming wasn't great. My art was okay and his animation was okay, but we didn't have proper programming skills. So we were looking to team up with people mm. and we realized that there were quite a lot of already settled student teams around. So we were just left with a guy who didn't bring anything and two hobbyist programmers who were more into uh visual effects mm-hmm. stuff and we all haven't been in the game jam before and we were just trying to think of a game to uh fit the theme i think the theme was like childhood or something yeah. like that and we thought okay we'll make a, a a 2d water fight game that's basically had like water physics to like s- spray from on one side cool. to the other and i did all the sp- uh i did all the sprites we had a girl who did the animation with, along with my friend and the guy who didn't bring anything he was just thinking of all these crazy ideas to add to the game that would never have been able to be implemented mm. and the guys who uh, did know the programming to it spent most of the time making the water physics look good instead of actually making right. the game so <laughs> So in the end, we didn't really end up with a game. We just ended up having uh, a kid where you can just like you can squirt water out of a water gun, and that was it. Pretty
1: standard of yeah, like creative uh, disputes, and then not ending up with much of a game at the end of it. But I guess the more you you do it the better grasp Mm -hmm. you get for the sort of things you can do in a game jam and um yeah in my first one my friend nick who's a programmer he was telling me about his previous game jam when he'd decided to try and make an engine (laughs) so um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> halfway through, well, at the end of the game jam, he had half a game engine and no game. So, yeah, he's learnt the, learnt the hard way about that experience. This time, we just, I think we had one artist who didn't want to do art and wanted to, like, code and then we couldn't really agree on a concept and I managed to kind of steer us in a direction for a concept but it wasn't particularly amazing and yeah it did like we you know we we finished something for it but it just wasn't all that good and so yeah and a lot of the time we'd spent trying to sort out the source control but then the next game jam i did we had source control down and um, because it was him him and me again and then we had two other people who we'd worked with and so we all kind of knew each other and what we were doing a lot more and yeah that one went a bit well it went a lot better we we got picked as the winners for for that one oh well yeah and then i've had a few other game jams when we, we've had winning um Winning games, which is nice, although not all of them even pick a winner because it can mean that the focus is more on like competition Competing. rather than, yeah, yeah, like taking part and just making something cool. Yeah. And, um, but I think either's good. It's sometimes nice to have a bit of competition, mm-hmm. but then nice to have ones that are just about, yeah, the taking part and meeting and learning and just having some fun because it, it is the tricky thing of like you, you need to try and make sure you're having fun while you're doing it because it shouldn't be, like, you know, mm. a really awful slog. But it's very easy for it to it, yeah. turn into that. And so it's a very fine line to tread of, like, you, you you need to be kind of pretty focused because you don't have much time. But at the same time, you want to try and enjoy it and make something mm.
0: cool. So, some people get so stressed out from it as well. Yeah. It's like, like, it's not healthy to care about a, a Game Jam game that much because it is meant to be fun it's meant to be it's all about creating something not and not necessarily creating something good
1: yeah yeah it's a, it's a learning experience isn't it and the more you do it the better you get and um, there's some game jams like jam chester when they're kind of like industry focused so yeah the quality bar at that is kind of incredibly high hmm. i entered that one time and we were making a game i was quite happy with and then i walked around and looked at the games that everyone else was working on and it was like oh my god <laughs> uh, there's so much better than ours <laughs> it's,
0: it's a credit to like all the game devs around isn't it it's just how talented people are and how passionate people Mm. are when they make these things so lost words started off as a game jam game did you say yes
1: yeah that was in the ludum dare game jam
0: how much has it differed from the initial game jam concept to what it is now like
1: um quite a lot so the theme was minimalism so it had like a white background and just black text and a few lines black lines for platforms as well as the words and that was pretty much it and yeah the character was just a basic sprite no animation there was no audio uh, but it had you know a lot of the mechanics that have made it into the shipped game of the bit when the words are falling away underneath you when you jump on them and yeah dragging words around to make stepping stone platforms then yeah there's sort of fantasy world element and the diary half of the game sort of came about later there were things that seemed to fit in and the story there was no story in the game jam version mm. either it was just like the the basic mechanics you
0: got uh rihanna pratchett to do the story of the game yes yeah how how did that come about because i'm a massive fan of rihanna pratchett i really loved her version of tomb raider cool.
1: so that that was through, um, we were talking to a finance partner at the time and they'd suggested speaking to some writers and they'd mentioned Rihanna. I said, that would be great if she wanted to be involved, but I'm sure, you know, you'll get shot down <laughs> if you ask her. But it, if it's you, you know, if you don't mind, then uh, go for it. And uh, so they uh, reached out to her. They hadn't heard anything back. And then I took part in the um, uh, space SpaceSafe, great british winter game jam and rihanna was one of the judges and it was me and that sort of, yeah similar team of uh, of jammers that i'd been working mm. with and and we got picked as the winners for for that one so i sort of mentioned to rihanna that i was working on this other game and uh, it would be great to see what she thought of it and then yeah we we met up and i sort of pitched the the game to her and yeah she was interested to to join the team and uh, and be a part of it which was yeah amazing especially as it was still pretty early on then like that you know it wasn't mm. that long since the game jam and um so it was still pretty basic but she sort of saw the potential just from that prototype and yeah she's now like the longest serving team member next to me for it
0: oh wow <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah last week there was a whole week of games writing webinars and they were saying how it's really important to have writers included in the process of making it a a game so that the story is a fundamental part to the game and not just a, a tagged on element to a game
1: yeah definitely
0: so that's one thing that i've learned over the years where if you want to make a narrative-driven game, it's really important to have these writers on board and even if they're not working on it all the time, it's nice to have them in it so that they have it in the back of their mind so that they can write it as you make the game. Needless to say, I think that with Rihanna on board, it's really enhanced the way the game has played out like it's a really touching story and i really really like it
1: great thanks
0: (laughs) um, so would you say like going to these events and all these live places and meeting people is really important to being part of the games industry um
1: yes and no i think you can learn a lot by going to these different events and yeah it's really good for for networking and making new uh new connections with people but on the other hand like the um not remember his name but the, the guy who made stardew valley hadn't been to any games events and mm. you know and made stardew valley so uh, yeah. it's like it's not a necessity but see yeah, i think it definitely can can, can help and, and and make a big difference and yeah you never know what will come out of them yeah you might find a new collaborator or land a new job mm. or a new partner who can Help out with a certain yeah. Uh, discipline. Yeah, it's,
0: um... yeah. Like me, me and my game making partner uh, Lola, she's in Brighton, and we never we've known each other for a good ten years, but we never right. met until last year. So, it, wow. yeah, been working together for like the past two two and a half years. So it's been quite funny how like it does change that relationship once you do meet them in person because it, they, they're they not just another person on the other side of the screen it's they're a person that you've actually met and you it felt like we had a closer relationship when we did actually meet and yeah it definitely makes a difference yeah
1: i like that the team on the stanley parable like they never actually met until they won a bafta <laughs> or were nominated for a bafta and met at the um awards ceremony oh. and uh, so that's pretty cool yeah that's
0: it <laughs> Like, I can't think of any other industry that can work so remotely and be, like, there's so many industries where you have to be in the same place to be able to work.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're definitely pretty uh, pretty lucky. Although I think there are lots of industries when they've always said they need to be in the same place. But now with the lockdown, they've kind of realized, like, actually, it's perhaps not as vital as they thought, yeah. and they can carry on pretty well and operate at nearly full efficiency or for some people even more than previous efficiency because you you know yeah. you tend to have less meetings or they're more focused you don't have a commute so you've got more time yeah. uh, people are perhaps a bit more relaxed if they're just in their own home but you know everyone's different because for some people yeah there's less distractions and it's better being at home for some people like especially if you've got kids you probably have more distractions <laughs> and that can make it a bit bit harder but uh, I think definitely increased flexibility and future would be good mm. so if people want to keep going into the office every day they can do but if if some people want to work from home a few days a week they're permitted to do that then yeah. then that would be great and better for the environment as well and uh, you know probably saves them money for their commute as well as time yeah
0: and i think if you have if you force everyone into the same place it can be social but then that's also distracting as well
1: yeah yeah that's
0: true like I can think of a few uh studios where they try and include fun time have you ever had this where you're working and then they assign like uh, a few hours in the week where you, you stop development and you just play games
1: um we've had some things along those lines yeah and uh, EA did like a drinks Friday and stuff so um they had like mm. some free beers and soft drinks and things um but uh don't think we've done the game playing much but i I know um yuki does that on a friday that you can drop in and Mm. they will play some games and stuff yeah which for lots of people is great and you get to socialize and um, i think for some companies you might have people who aren't into that and don't want to be forced but yeah it's a tricky thing when um Uh, everyone's kind of different. But I think it's definitely nice to to be doing something to try and encourage everyone to to interact a bit more outside of work. Yeah.
0: Do you interact with many of your team outside of work?
1: At the moment, not interacting with anyone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, out, outside of uh, <laughs> our house but um so that's one thing we want to kind of improve with meeting up more often and then maybe we can sort of hang out afterwards if we're if we're meeting up like once every mm. fortnight but yeah previously um no we haven't really done that much and then with the lockdown we've tried doing well we always just did audio calls before but now we've done a couple of video calls just because everyone else is doing it and it's like ah, it's actually and and, and and they've added video call functionality into discord which is what we use, so uh, we don't always do that. But yes. we've um, had a, a couple of those, yeah. And like having the the chats on some Fridays, and uh, yeah, not everyone is into it, but it's nice to have it there for people who want to to take part. And yeah, I'll probably look into to doing some other things to try and um, keep people. Um, yeah doing non-work socializing stuff as well and uh, one of our old team members uh ria was really good for that she liked she organized a board games night round hers and um, was sort of pushing to do other things so i you know when she was kind of reminding me about those i'd booked them in but then she uh, she left to go to another studio and um, and I'm not as good as she <laughs> about uh, organizing things but yeah definitely when um, when things are back to normal especially if we're meeting up anyway every couple of weeks I think mm. it would be a lot easier to, to sort of like add stuff on to, to the end of those sessions.
0: That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Is it a struggle whenever whenever a team member leaves?
1: uh yeah yeah it can be um can be tricky and when you're a small kind of close-knit group all working together can yeah can can affect things but yeah there's lots of different reasons people might want to move on for like a different role or yeah like salary or location or
0: just a better opportunity somewhere else
1: Mm -hmm, yeah but yeah with with the company direction stuff, I definitely want to look at what we can do to, you know, make things as good as possible for the whole mm. team. And you know, you want to hold on to all your talented team members and want to do everything we can to keep them happy and wanting to to be a part of the studio.
0: How do you find people to join your team? Do you just go up to people that you know, or recruitment, or
1: um often through my own networks things there's a uk games industry slack so sometimes i'll message on that mm-hmm. or the bafta crew whatsapp um
0: there's a bafta crew's whatsapp
1: yeah <laughs> and a discord as well yeah. um, that so,
0: sounds like all the important people in one whatsapp group um is that it, exactly how it is it's um, lots
1: of um, cat gifts and things. So uh, <laughs> kind of um, so the, the BAFTA crew program is kind of for people with two to four years experience, but they're a bit loose with that because I've got a bit more than four years experience and they've let me hang around in it. But um, it's kind of a, a year long program. They take a intake, but then, yeah, you can, can reapply and they sort of organize different events and get great speakers and do roundtables and stuff and online streams as well and then yeah they've got these these groups for people to to stay in touch which is nice
0: uh, how did you get involved with that did you just
1: you just apply through like the website they tend to put out a call i think they might be announcing the next intake soon mm-hmm. so keep an eye out there's the bafta mailing list you can sign up for and then they'll kind of provide information in
0: in that that's very interesting sorry i that went down a different tangent to what you were saying. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. So, so um, with
1: uh, recruitment companies, often the the price can be quite high for a small company. So, um, I don't really use recruiters at the moment because I can normally find people, yeah, through those networks. But, or sometimes, yeah, one of the team members knows someone who might be interested. Um, but I do want to kind of broaden the way that we advertise because you know you want it to to be out there and to give lots of different people an, an opportunity to to mm. to work with us and um yeah the wider you cast the net the the, the better and you're going to have you know, different skill sets and experiences
0: what about development do you ever think about hiring someone who that isn't as experienced but have them around longer and build up their experience or is it too early to say
1: you can do that? Uh, hiring someone with less experience, yeah. was that, did you say? Yeah. So I was mentoring someone from my old university, Lincoln, and um, he's been, yeah, he really impressed me in the uh, sessions. He seemed to really know his stuff, and he'd already worked for a couple of other games companies in his spare time, like even though he's still just going into his third year and then yeah he's working as a delivery driver as, as well so he's um very uh like hard working and, uh, and motivated and then um our scripter moved uh well is, is moving to another studio so yeah i I spoke to my mentee and asked him if he was interested in um, in working with us. Yeah, and he was, which is really cool. And yeah, I think already he, he's really good, but um, definitely, yeah, he will learn over time. And uh, hopefully, he chooses to stick around with us mm-hmm. for a, a while. And uh, yeah, even you know wh- when he's finished his course, then yeah, he can potentially work with us full time if he's interested in uh, in that. And yeah, I think it definitely makes a difference to to have someone who's sort of, yeah, talented and has that potential and work with them and yeah. uh, help them to, to grow. So this is actually his kind of first, um, well, he's just, he's getting getting started with us today. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> it's very, uh, very current.
0: That sounds great. Like to not only find someone that hardworking, but also find someone with the talent and drive to do it. Be proactive to find Mm -hmm. you to be able to uh, have that as a mentee. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of people who want to make games but don't know how to take those first steps. So, do you have any advice Mm. for those
1: people? Um, So, I guess I would say just try and like jump in however you can and and get started. You know, there's lots of different engines: um, Unity, Unreal, Game Maker, Construct. Uh, There's even things like Roblox and uh, Mm -hmm. Dreams and um, Scratch and Stencil. Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of engines for all sorts of experience levels and sort of technical abilities and so just find something that works for for you and is right for your level and get started and i guess yeah speak to lots of people ask for advice and i think if you're it can be hard to get in the games industry but if you're Mm. persistent then i think you can definitely do it people who always sort of impress me like this mentee are the ones who yeah are like asking lots of questions and they're very driven and they're passionate and they think about stuff and figure out what they want to do and their their direction and often that sort of shines through Mm -hmm. quite quickly like when I've been doing career surgeries at events often you know just in a few minutes of you can you can tell when someone has the Potential because you know they've lit that fire under themselves, and so they're really yeah keen and and engaged and there's one young woman who was you know ticked all of those boxes and was really um like seemed very switched on and impressed me with all the the questions that she was asking which kind of showed you know she'd she'd been thinking about things very carefully then we'd kept in touch and then uh, she was applying for jobs and she said she wanted to work at rare and i had a friend who i used to work with at lionhead who had gone to rare so i said if you send on your cv i can forward it on for you which i did and he sent it on to the relevant person uh, yeah she ended up working there although i'm sure she would have done that without me doing anything at all because she was yeah. talented and hard working <laughs> and, and,
0: but it's not it's knowing that type of things like a lot of the times it's too intimidating to do it by yourself. But when you have someone with that experience to just say, go for it, you have that confirmation of, OK, I will do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and to provide some guidance as well on like um, what yeah. sort of things can be good for a covering letter and, and how to structure that as well. Because that's something that like often you don't really learn much about but your covering Mm -hmm. letter I would say can be you know as important as your CV and then you just sort of send that as the body of the email because that's another thing of like we've we've changed you know when I was at school it was all about letters and when we were learning about CVs and stuff it was about you know you have to put your address on it you send it in a letter and they send you stuff back but then now it's all email or website applications and stuff and so yeah it's changed uh, changed quite a bit but definitely like like you say having someone who just sort of knows the ropes on what to do and can provide you with a bit of guidance or clarification if you're unsure on something then yeah that can make a big difference
0: and I would also say to a lot of new game devs or student game devs trying to get in the industry is not worry about the CV as much and worry more about the, the portfolio
1: yeah, like it's definitely um, makes a big difference having a strong portfolio, and that's why game jams can be really good because mm. for some
0: roles, like those, will be the first games that you make.
1: Yeah, or like um, it, it's, um, and you can keep doing them as well, so you can have them even you know after mm. you've graduated, so you can have ones that are more relevant than your, uh, more recent than your course. But um, I think the things that employers often look on with most favouritism is when they can see that you you know you've made things for the fun of it because you enjoy it and you're passionate about making games whereas if you've mm-hmm. sort of only ever made games because you were told to for your course then you know there's a lot of people who are in that position and there's lots less who have worked on team or solo projects just for the fun of it and often they're a lot better than the things that you're kind of forced to make for your course anyway so yeah that definitely helps you stand out but and people I'm kind of in the like I do think CVs are relevant but some people say yeah they don't really put much stock in CVs at all but I think it does make a difference and yeah it's good to have a nice strong CV and it's also a good encouragement to be doing stuff that you can add to it and it's a nice record just for yourself to kind of Go on yeah. and see any extra qualifications or fun things than just have strengths
0: it. of this person mm-hmm.
1: yeah so yeah I, I do think cvs are still good but yeah definitely the portfolio makes a big difference and um and i think also having it in an easy to digest format because people when you're applying somewhere you know the companies are probably getting like hundreds of applications and so if you've got a nice video that shows the highlights of all of your projects in like one minute then that can be a really good way of um, communicating what they're like because if you have like a exe file or something or you know they have to download and install something it's like they probably don't have the time or inclination to do that but if you make it easy like if on your website you've got all these short clips of which game and clear explanations on exactly what it was you did on that project a good variety of things and they're done to a high quality then that looks really good you know because you don't need to have made your own version of World of Warcraft and uh, like and have something really huge to impress them because they don't have that much time so short and polished things are a lot better and that's why game jams can be good because it kind of encourages you to keep things small but then if you can also keep the mentality of a high degree of polish and that's why yeah you want to keep things even smaller than you would expect because it kind of allows you to kind of make a tiny but super polished small experience that yeah is the sort of thing that will look good in a, a portfolio like that and uh, and, mm. and help you to stand out
0: what do you think is one of the biggest myths about being a game developer
1: that is an interesting question um, i guess that like um maybe the comment if, if you if you tell people that you make games they say like oh that must be brilliant playing games all day it's like well actually i said i make <laughs> them i don't play them and, uh, and even if you do play them as QA it's often you're playing games that you wouldn't choose to play and you're playing like the same areas over and over again and you're playing all the broken bits and so it's often not as much fun even then as people would think getting to play games
0: I think one of the biggest myths that I've come across is oh you must be rich <laughs> right <laughs> because they hear the success stories of um uh, notch and and the guys who've made angry birds
1: yeah i guess a good comparison is like actors or musicians and it's like yeah there's the ones that everyone knows about who are rich and famous but then there's so many others who um you know are just doing okay or you know not really making a living from it so having to do other things to support themselves and so yeah and every degree in between all of those things yeah i
0: mean like last night, we attended uh, a talk online with a couple of indie developers, and they were saying how there's so much sacrifice of time and money when it comes to making games that, like, just normal people probably wouldn't know about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a big um, undertaking, and uh, can can vary a lot though, because like you know, everyone people make different scales of projects and uh, I spent lots of years working on lost words and um but then um yeah people have spent you know a lot less time making games that have been massively successful and uh, so yeah it's very hard but I think as long as you're kind of doing something that you enjoy and, and giving it your all then that's kind of a good good way to go about things and if you can just try and get to the point when you're sort of living sustainably doing it and then having shots on goal so you know when you're every game you make is a, a potential chance to have something that's really successful and you you learn from every game and there's lots of different situations that can work to your favor or against you but the more content that you're putting out yeah more frequent the the kind of timings on it like the more chances you have of yeah stuff lining mm. up and having something that that does really well but also it's your your measure of success and what you're what you're sort of looking for because that's that's different to everyone you know sometimes it might be people just want to have a really small studio or work on their own and release whatever games they want to make and just live comfortably from that and other people might want to have a really massive studio and
0: what's your ambition for it um do you want uh so
1: yeah that's kind of a a tricky one because i guess (laughs) i i can see the benefits of both sides when we got to kind of about 10 people during development on lost words and there was sort of a lot more like management of the team and stuff to do and and production and that was quite tricky going from yeah a very small team and i I do do like it being a a small close-knit group Mm -hmm. and it's sort of a bit easier to keep everyone communicating and on the same page but then at the same time if you if you grow a big bigger studio then you just have more people to help out with the different areas and to Make sure mm. that things are
0: and you can make a bigger game
1: that's true yeah so yeah for me that's kind of tricky because i i, I kind of like both and i can see the appeals and i've enjoyed working at bigger studios and i've enjoyed working with a smaller team i've heard a few people say that kind of about 15 people is a good number or like 12 to 15 because you're sort of small enough to not really have big communication issues I think for me I was just used to a smaller team and we didn't have a producer at that point so then yeah having someone to sort of help manage everything and yeah and a a team that kind of size could be really good because then I think especially as technology progresses and the kind of tools and stuff allow smaller teams to make games that feel like bigger AAA games you know like Hellblade was quite a small team i think that was maybe 20 yeah. people or something and, and it started much smaller than that too um
0: and that's a that's such an amazing game as well like it looks and sounds amazing
1: and as things go on i think yeah the advances in technology just mean that small teams can you know like GTA 5 now in a few years you might have like a team of 5 who can make a game that feels like that scale in, um, <laughs> in much less time because yeah it just kind of allows you to do all of these things mm. of you know you say okay well give me a city and it populates it and then you can kind of change all the parameters and stuff so yeah more like procedural tools and, and mm. other sort of advances in in tech and engines and um uh, all the the clever software and yeah with like scanning some stuff i think that will make a big difference so it'll be a lot easier yeah photorealistic games
0: my partner lola she recently experimented on scanning bread to make some models for quite unreal nice. uh, for the marketplace and it, it was quite interesting how she made these photorealistic bread models mm-hmm. it's amazing how far we've come tech wise from making I don't know, like Super Mario for the N64 to like making almost photorealistic stuff. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Unreal Engine 5 coming out, that's going to be a complete game changer because no one has to worry about limitations anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks pretty incredible. Well, they say that anyway, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I will believe it when I uh, experience it. Yes,
0: Yeah, that is true.
1: Definitely does seem. Um... Seem like amazing tech, and uh, I want to play that tech demo that they showed. Like, and 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 for that to yeah. be a full game, that looks amazing. It's kind of it seems a shame. It's only a small, uh, small demo.
0: Do you see yourself going towards that scale of a game in the future, or do you feel like stay sm- not small, but like scope wise, not massive, um, not triple A?
1: So I guess it depends on lots of things, like yeah, the tech and the uh, team and. Uh, the market and what makes sense and if we can fund a bigger project then yeah it would be cool to do something that maybe has the reach to get out there to even more people although like i said you know the team size and development time isn't always Mm -hmm. indicative of um how many eyes you get on a project and but definitely yeah making something that's kind of extra polished and a bit bigger does have a, a strong appeal to me.
0: In regards of like working with people, are there some people some studios you want to collaborate with or are there or do you solely want to work with your own IP?
1: Yeah, I think it would be cool to to do both and to collaborate with some other companies and yeah, getting to work on some of the big AAA games which some of the smaller studios do help out with would be uh would be pretty cool like one of my friends worked on the witcher 3 and that would be a great game to Mm. have on your cv but um yeah often well before i kind of thought like well it's not really you know you can go to that one studio and work on that game for however many years but it's kind of hard to get experience on different things but being part of a smaller studio who contracts with different companies, there's probably more flexibility to work on different different projects as well as um, working on your own IP. So, um, yeah, it's definitely mm. something I would be interested in and, yeah, scaling up a studio to, to kind of do, do both of those things.
0: It's really exciting to see how Sketchbook Games develops into, well, develops into whatever it becomes. <laughs> Thanks
1: very much. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where your project and um, and company ends up. Like it seems like your 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 game's really cool and coming along really well so far.
0: Yeah, me and Lola have been working on it for like two and a half years, nearly, and it's it's been a slog. It wasn't until late last year when I had to take a break from take a break from making the game, and I kind of had to leave her to do all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fair on her and I had to take my break away and I slowly saw her feeling defeated because like nothing was working. She couldn't find the right people to like help out right. and she was pretty much about to give up and then I I just went to her look I'll just we'll come back and we'll try and make it work. We'll like we've put so much time and effort on this we have to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that was around the time when Matthew Applegate told me about the East Anglia Digital Incubator project that he was setting up. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a really interesting idea. I didn't think that we would be able to be part of it, mainly because like we didn't even have a programmer right. at that, that point. We just had assets. We had a world where we can walk around, but there was no actual gameplay. Mm-hmm. After signing up, me and Lola had a conversation about how serious we want to take this and how how far we want to take this. And I thought, okay, we'll 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 do it. We'll throw ourselves in, into the deep end. And I think having that leap of faith kind of set us on the right path again. Sure. Because if we didn't ha- if we didn't take that leap of faith, it, it could so easily have just gone to we've got good idea we've got a good world and assets that we've made and that could just be portfolio work it doesn't have to be anything mm. and yeah taking that leap is what sets us apart from a lot of people i think
1: definitely yeah yeah it's great you've got your vision and you're kind of persisting in in making that happen and uh, yeah it is hard to finish a game and and get it out there but it's uh, it's a really great learning experience if you can managed Mm. to to do that
0: yeah and when you first like built your community of people being interested in lost words did you have loads of people like applying to you saying oh can i help on this did you have interest from game developers saying they want to work on the project um
1: i wouldn't say loads of people reaching out and i guess as time has gone on we're now getting more voiceover people getting in Mm. contact we've had lots of composers reaching out because i guess their cycle on a project can be a bit shorter than some of the other mm. areas and, and they yeah they looking to fit more stuff in and the nature of their work they're having to sort of go out there and network and meet people other roles like not so much though i guess maybe people mm. are often more working in-house at bigger studios and so there's maybe less who are sort of looking for different projects to to work mm-hmm. on but depends where you you look i guess
0: yeah yeah the reason why i ask is when initially when we first release like screenshots of our game to our facebook page mm-hmm. we had an in of random people saying oh i'm a i'm a programming student i really like the look of this game right. do you need help mm-hmm. and then we talked to them, and then the pr- problems we found was that they would be interested for, like, five minutes before they realized that they actually have to do some work. Mm-hmm. And then they would just, like, start leaving randomly. And I was just wondering if that happens on your spectrum of making games.
1: Um, so it depends how you set things up. And if you're kind of pre-funding, then I guess that is pretty path of the course of if you're sort of offering that future promise then it can be quite hard for people to stay motivated but yeah it's like when when you get to the point when you've managed to secure some funding then it definitely helps with that that you can hire people who've worked on other stuff before yeah and you know and you're able to to pay for their time so the kind of motivation Mm -hmm. for people is less of an issue but uh i know lots of teams who are you know all doing stuff on a voluntary basis and it it kind of um can work with varying degrees of success and i think there's Mm -hmm. it's like it's an art to have a motivated team working for free but i mean like wikipedia is a good example of something when it's like people are doing that for free i was listening to the book uh drive by daniel pink i think maybe and he was saying yeah like about microsoft and carter when everyone was paid versus wikipedia when everyone was free and like the normal mm. model for motivation and if you look at that then everyone would say like yeah I mean, carter will be the one that does well but then you know years later encarta gets shut down and wikipedia is the one that's still thriving today but if you're doing a game for profit then it's a different thing because that's you know wikipedia is a more sort of altruistic thing but yeah there's definitely ways of having people collaborating together and if you're all kind of in for an equal share and that that can work but it is definitely hard to You know when people are busy and have bills to pay Mm. and life stuff to do and other things like it's it can be hard to um to have people um sticking around
0: so let's try and end this on a happier note when everything has gone back to normal we're allowed to go out events are back on What's the first thing that you really want to do?
1: Like event-wise or just life in general? Just generally. I'd really like to have a milkshake. I haven't had a milkshake in ages. And uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of milkshakes. So uh, that is my like small, nice uh, delight I would uh, look forward to, I think.
0: It's been so good to have you on the podcast. And I hope everyone has enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, check out Lost Words.
1: Thanks very much. Yeah, it's been great to to be here. Thanks very much for for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. Goodbye.
1: Bye.